Welcome to the Sober Gay Sunday podcast, a podcast about being gay and sober and not just on Sundays. In this podcast, we'll explore the ins and outs of being queer and sober in a world where drinking and using are woven into the fabric of our culture. This season, we'll be hearing the stories of addiction and recovery from sober gays from all over the world. Every story of recovery is unique in its own way, and every story deserves to be heard. So let's go. In this episode, we welcome Alex. Alex has been out since 2011 and working in Northwest Pennsylvania queer activism ever since. He joined the board of the NWPA Pride Alliance in 2012 at the age of 22. He spent much of his 20s in environments where drinking was expected, leading to alcoholism. In 2019, he started to experience medical issues that were made worse by drinking. His health forced his hand, and in June of 2023, he celebrated four years of sobriety. Please welcome Alex. Hi, Alex, and welcome to the pod. Hi, thanks for having me. Why don't you start off by telling us your name, preferred pronouns, and a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so my name is Alex Spoon. I'm in Erie, Pennsylvania. Um, go by the pronouns he, him. Um, I'm coming up on 37 months sober, so a little over four years now. Um, I am a, thank you, I'm a queer activist in Erie, Pennsylvania. Uh, I, my kind of most prominent role is the NWPA Pride Alliance president, so I run the local pride here in our region. That's amazing. Why don't you take us through your sobriety journey? Start us off at the beginning and take us all the way up till now. Yeah, so my, um, my vice was always alcohol. I, gr- growing up in Erie, we're kind of a medium-sized town. We're not the great big cities. We're not a super small town. So um, we're a population of about 100,000 people. So it's kind of like right smack dab in the middle. Um, I come from a very middle-class family. Um, when I was growing up, we were towards the bottom of the middle class. We kind of, I always knew that we weren't well off. We were always scraping by. Um, my family has a history of alcoholics. Uh, I have an uncle that lost his life due to it. Uh, multiple different um, relatives have struggled with it uh, on and off throughout their lives. I really didn't start using until I turned 21. So I kind of stayed away from it as I was younger because I saw all my family that were struggling with it as I was growing up. But you know what? As soon as I turned 21, I kind of got that first taste as most 21-year-olds do. My, I mean, my parents bought my first drink. They kind of came from that generation where in the 70s and 80s, yeah, that's what you did. You went out, you drank, and it wasn't really a problem until it was a problem. I mean, I've got, my dad has told me stories where He's been in accidents. He's been pulled over where it should have been a DUI, but he grew up in a small town where DUIs weren't handed out that often. So it's one of those things that just coming from the background that I came from, it wasn't something that I, I was aware of it, yet I wasn't aware of it all at the same time. So I came out at 21, started um, drinking. I literally came out as gay as 21, started drinking at 21, going to college, getting ready to graduate. Kind of the perfect storm all happened. Um, the, I was working at a retail store at the time, found my, what I, my first kind of group of people that were a bunch of other queer individuals. And I started to become comfortable with who I am. This is in the early 20 teens. So this is like 2011. 
um, where in my town, gay culture still was primarily in bars. So mm-hmm. we were congregating at the local gay club uh, four or five nights a week, sometimes more. Occasionally, we'd switch it up and go drink on the beach, even though we weren't supposed to. Um, So we would go and it kind of just led to that. I got involved with the local drag community. I did drag here in Erie for 10 years. Um, It just, it was constant. I kept finding myself in circles where alcohol was readily available, whether it be the drag community, just the gay bar in general. Once you become a drag Mm -hmm. queen in a relatively small town, everybody knows who you are. Your drinks get progressively stronger and stronger. Just because once you're known, you're known. Yeah. Um, I was working. I was working in a bank at the time, where bank culture was happy houring three, four, five nights a week, networking at events that had open bars. So it was yeah. kind of like this perfect storm that I just caught myself in. Mm-hmm. Um, that I just kind of rode for six, seven, eight. I want to say it was eight or nine years. I really just found myself in that that storm where I couldn't get away from it and then fast forward to 2019 i mean i I was the definition during this time frame of a functional functioning alcoholic i -hmm. was excelling in my day job as in um i switched careers was moving in the right direction there um i was running the pride alliance seeing massive growth year over year i started to have some health issues that were actually unrelated to my alcoholism but when I would drink, it would start to make my health worse. Mm-hmm. So I was having issues with my gallbladder and my digestive tract in general. And I didn't really know what was going on. The one thing that became very apparent was when I would drink, everything got worse. Mm-hmm. So dealing with that for a few months, it, finally, I got to the point that I did get a diagnosis from my doctor. And my doctor's like, well, how often are you drinking? And of course, I did what everybody does. I'm like, uh, two, three times a week, maybe. Uh-huh. Well, how much are you <laughs> drinking? Uh, one or two drinks, when in reality, most nights I was taking a bottle, a fifth of vodka. Um, mm-hmm. It was like, yeah, no. So um, went through that whole health thing. And kind of my rock bottom moment was um, I en- ended up getting referred to a surgeon because of the health situation. and. This, I was going through this, the the questionnaire with the surgeon, and I kind of went through this really weird health dynamic where I have a twin sister who had went through a similar yet different health emergency um, right. month, months earlier and had the same procedure done for a completely different reason. And here I come six months later. We've had it happen a few times. When we were young, she broke her arm. Uh, three days later, after I, she got out of a cast, uh, I was going into a cast, um, that happened twice. Um, <laughs> it, it was, it's, it's we've had a few of those weird situations, mm-hmm. but, um, I remember when she, when she went through her surgery, um, the doctor told her three or four months after surgery, they're like, you, you should not drink for the first three or four months. And mm-hmm. I was going to a different surgeon. And I remember I was sitting in the room with my, with my mom there. And I'm like, so after I have the surgery, how long before I can drink? And that was kind of one of my aha moments when my mom looked at me and I, I could tell by the look in her eyes, she was like, is everything okay? Cause like they knew I was going out. 
never got a DUI, never got that kind of, like I was up going to work, all that stuff. But I don't think anybody really realized how serious it was. And those that did were right there along with me in the trenches and didn't really, they they were going through everything that I was going through. So they weren't in a position to say anything to me or to really help me. That was kind of my opening. um, When I, when I had that, diagnosis and I knew I was going for surgery, I knew I had to stop drinking at that moment. And that was kind of the the catalyst to really help me kind of dive into why was I drinking so much? What was I, what was my root cause? And to really work on that root cause, take that time that like, if I would have drank after the surgery, it, it would have been really catastrophic, the, the after effects of everything. Yeah, um, of like it would have just had me I, I would have ended up in the hospital and it just mm-hmm. would have been downhill even worse than the hill I was already going down I really started to work on my mental health at that point to really get down to those root causes of why was I drinking that idea of like what was it that I was uncomfortable with with myself that was kind of leading me down the road to want to escape because I was always somebody that oh I was going through something emotional I, I, I drank more um, mm-hmm. it was always that and whenever I was dealing with emotions that the drink, the drinks went down quicker and quicker and quicker. Yeah. And I drank more often. I mean, I was drinking five nights a week. If I was going through something, it was up to seven nights. So like, yeah, I was already drinking a lot, but when times got tough, I drank more really as I went through that process, it, it became very apparent to me that I had to kind of get a hold of the get a hold of my problem. And I was lucky enough that once all this was identified, I had a very close group, a close group of friends that they didn't drink like I did. Like we would normally hang out and then I would leave them like seven, eight o'clock and I'd go to the bar and then continue drinking. Like we might have like one or two and then I would go to the bar and get plastered. So when I started getting sober, they, they were really great. They're like, the liquor's in that cabinet. It's locked. We're not going in there. That, that's a cabinet that doesn't get open when Alex is over. So yeah. I, was, I was really grateful that I had that group that was able to help support me through that time and really kind of open my eyes to, you know what, there's more to do than to just sit in a bar and mm-hmm. kind of waste the night away on a bar stool with a, a vodka in your hand. It's pretty, that's pretty amazing. I love that. I, I love that your friends could step up to the plate like that and kind of like really be a, a support system right off the bat. You know, and I also, I kind of got helped out by the fact that in the spring of 2020, everything got shut down. I never wanted to drink at home and I never really kept liquor at home because I, in the back of my head, I was always worried about if I drank at home, well, then I, then I would have to admit that I had an issue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Then I'm really an alcoholic for sure. Yeah. Yes. And, I, and I, I never wanted to admit that. So I never kept alcohol at home. And, or if I did, it was such small quantities that it, it was nothing like I would never get to that level. Yeah. Um, and it was to the, I was like, oh, when we shut down, I had nothing here. So even if I would have wanted to, I couldn't have opened up anything to drink. So I kind of lucked into that aspect that as I was going through the recovery from my surgery, Mm -hmm. I had surgery in September. So like, as I was to the point that I could have started drinking again after the surgery, Mm -hmm. it was like a snap of the fingers and the world stopped. And I was kind of just like in a spot where Pennsylvania did not make it easy to get alcohol at the beginning of the pandemic. The liquor stores were shut down for the first like three months. (laughs) I don't even think liquor stores shut down at all here. 
they went through a time period where you had to like order online and everything was sold out. It, it was, it was uh, interesting to say the least. One of my board members worked at the liquor stores mm-hmm. and uh, we heard all her, all her horror stories of everybody going, I need my stuff. And they're like, well, we, they couldn't get it because here all the liquor stores are state run. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Cause it's funny. It's the, the pandemic is, seems to be like some people took it as a, an opportunity to stop drinking and to stop using. And some people, it was like the catalyst for like the rev up to like full crazy addiction and alcoholism, just like running rampant. And it's, you're, you're not the, you're not the first person that I've talked to that has the pandemic helped it was positive for them in their recovery, which is pretty interesting. So, um, and you know, the pandemic also forced me to slow down my life a little bit. Um, because with being mm-hmm. a pride president, I was on the go. I was put, I was still even prior to, um, even like that time frame after my surgery, while I was still not, while I was still in recovery and not drinking, I was still attending social events and just mm-hmm. avoiding the alcohol with my support yeah. system. Um, even in that time, I was still on the go. I was busy and I was always in that environment. And mm-hmm. then I was dealing with that struggle. And then the, when everything slowed down, it was like, I didn't have to do any of that. So that, that initial wave of how am I going to handle the, the urge wasn't there. Yeah. What in what the period that I thought at the time would have been the hardest time, like that yeah. first six months to a year. Thank you for tuning into the Sober Gay Sunday podcast. Please feel free to like, subscribe, share, and comment. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Sober Gay Sunday. You can also email me directly at SoberGaySunday at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, stay sober, guys. I'm so sick of small talking, tell me something, you're dropping in me on my head with your biggest mistakes. I don't want your daily drama, fill me in on family traumas, tell me all the medication that you take. Cause life's so short, we're playing so fast, and not say anything.